Good afternoon, congregation, and a warm welcome to those uh, visitors worshiping with us this afternoon, as well as those listening online. A uh, few announcements, the same as this morning. An attestation has been requested by Brian and Brenda DeLue, who will be taking their church membership to the Canadian Reformed Church at Smithers, B.C. And again, this afternoon, we welcome Pastor Richard Eichelboom of the Canadian Reformed Church of Yarrow to lead the worship services. And the song of approach this afternoon is Psalm 25, verse 1 and 2. Sisters, our call to worship this afternoon comes from Psalm 98. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvellous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. Let us respond to this call to worship by rising. Will you please stand?
Let's lift up our hearts to the Lord and confess together. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And he responds, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and from Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's praise the Lord by singing together Psalm 16, stanzas 1 and 2, and afterwards remain standing for profession of faith. our catechism asks what a Christian must believe and the answer is all that is promised in the gospel which the articles of our Catholic and undoubted Christian faith teach us in a summary. Let's profess our faith in all the promises of the gospel by singing together hymn one.
Shall we draw near to God and pray for his blessing? Father in heaven, we come before your throne. We bow down before your majesty. We confess that you are almighty God and you carry the whole world in your hand. You lead all things and you are good. You are righteous. You are faithful. You have given us another beautiful day. Yes, this day was beautiful, Father. In spite of anything that we might have done with it, this day was beautiful because we could remember that you have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to pay for our sins, to give us life, perfect life, eternal life. And you have poured out your Holy Spirit into our hearts so that we might serve you in spirit and in truth. We love you, Father. We want to serve you. We want to live as your children. We desire your salvation. Father, we pray be with us this afternoon as we once again submit our hearts and our lives to the instruction and discipline of your Holy Word. Guide us by your Spirit, Father, so that we may know you, that we may understand the spiritual truth that you reveal to us in your Word. Give also that your Word may mean more to us than just a bunch of random facts or just a piece of academic knowledge because random knowledge and any collection of facts can ever save us. Father, we pray, open our minds and our hearts so that we may know you, that we may believe in you, that we may learn to live as your children in the obedience that comes from faith. Because we know from your word, Father, we know that if we believe the gospel, the gospel will control us. The gospel will bring us to our knees. The gospel will make us praise and glorify your name. Teach us to believe that we are unworthy of your grace. But you are infinite in mercy. We pray for all your children, wherever they come together to call upon your holy name. Be with those who are persecuted, those who have no freedom to serve you. Be with our missionaries in Brazil, Indonesia, China, in various places around Canada. Bless their work. Bless your churches everywhere. Now be with us. Work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit so that we may listen to the word which is preached to us, that we may grow in faith and be equipped to live as your children. Hear our prayer for the sake of your Son, our Lord, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. This afternoon we open God's word and we read together two passages, one from the Old Testament prophecy of Jeremiah Jeremiah chapter 2, starting at verse 13. 
Then we read this in connection with Lord's Day 33 of the Catechism. Lord's Day 33 is about repentance and conversion, the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new nature. In connection with that part of our confession, we read first from Jeremiah 2, starting at verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Is Israel a servant, a slave by birth? Why then has he become plunder? Lions have roared. They have growled at him. They have laid waste his land. His towns are burned and deserted. Also the men of Memphis and Tappanese have shaved the crown of your head. Have you not brought this on yourselves by forsaking the Lord your God when he led you in the way? Now, why go to Egypt to drink water from the Shihor? And why go to Assyria to drink water from the river? Your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realise How bitter and evil it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of me, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. We now go to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Luke. We read Luke 11. From verse 14, Luke 11 verse 14, Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Now if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armour in which the man trusted and divides up the spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed 
rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So far our reading from the word of God. May the Lord bless it unto our hearts. This afternoon I preach to you the word of God as the church has summarised it in Lord's Day 33 of our catechism. Lord's Day 3, page 546 of our book of praise. 546, Lord's Day 33. What is the true repentance or conversion of man? It is the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. What is the dying of the old nature? It is to grieve with heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God by our sin and more and more to hate it and flee from it. What is the coming to life of the new nature? It is a heartfelt joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. But what are good works? Only those which are done out of true faith in accordance with the law of God and to his glory and not those based on our own opinion or on precepts of men. So far a reading from the Confession of the Church. We now listen to the preaching of the Gospel and afterwards we'll sing together Psalm 119, stanzas 2, 3, 4 and 5. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, if you could choose one thing to change about yourself, what would that be? Would your first choice be to undo something that you have done in the past, something that you said or did and regretted later? For example, Some of us might wish that we had worked harder at school. Some of us might wish that we had chosen a different career or that we had studied different courses at college or university or if you could change something. Would you want to change your character, possibly a habit that you struggle against but cannot overcome? Or do you have regrets about your family? Or do you wish that you had made different choices about how you spend your time or your money? Or do you wish that you could have developed different relationships with some of your brothers or sisters or your parents or your children? When we look back at ourselves, when we look back over our lives, we are reminded that we are imperfect sinners 
and we have made many mistakes. With that reality, we have to live every day. And then one thing is true, brothers and sisters, one thing is true. That is, if we want to change our character or if we want to change any of our habits, the place to begin that changing process is the Gospel. Because the Gospel shows us what is the most important issue in our lives. The Gospel teaches us in the first place, and this is most important, the Gospel teaches us that God accepts us, not because of who we are, not because of anything that we have achieved or done. No, God accepts us for Jesus' sake. And God is leading us day by day, moment by moment, to eternal life. This message takes an enormous burden off our shoulders. And besides, apart from this gospel, the word of God also teaches us what the Christian life is supposed to look like. And so it tells us what is worth striving for, what is worth worrying about, what is worth changing. So the Gospel teaches us these two things. God accepts us and what's important in our life. But many books, many Christian books I might add, that have been written to help us change and become more godly. Many of those books are actually unhelpful and even damaging, brothers and sisters. Because many books give us the impression that if only we have faith, all our problems will be resolved and all our struggles will be over. Believe the Gospel, some of those Christian authors suggest, Believe the gospel and the Holy Spirit will change your spending habits. Accept Jesus Christ, others urge, and your family life will improve. Read the book of Daniel with a believing heart and even your diet will sort itself. Many Bible-believing Christians assume that when the Holy Spirit regenerates our hearts so that we begin to live by faith, every other issue in our life will sort itself automatically. That sounds promising, but in fact, this concept is harsh. It's judgmental. Because what does it mean for me in my life if I cannot always control my temper? If I continue to struggle with particular sins in my life, Do I have to conclude that I am still an unbeliever? Or if I cannot change some bad habits, must I believe that the Holy Spirit is not working in my heart? If conversion, the change from being an unbeliever to becoming a believer, if that conversion is the answer to all problems, then, as long as I have still got problems, I must be an unbeliever. And so it's important 
what we see this afternoon, brothers and sisters, this is not what the Bible teaches at all. Instead, our starting point must be the grace of God as we see it in the life of King David. King David, a man who committed adultery with Bathsheba. And of course what King David did was wrong. King David had to repent and be converted. But King David was not an unbeliever. Instead, the story of King David proves that we can believe the gospel. The Holy Spirit can be living in our hearts. But at the same time, there can still be serious sins in our lives. And so, because we believe the gospel and because we love God, because we are truly thankful to God, because he has saved us from our sins, now we want to look at our lives carefully. Now we want to understand ourselves and we want to understand where we need to change because we want to become more Christian in our thinking, in our speaking and in everything we do. We don't believe that if there is something wrong in our lives, we are automatically going to hell. And we have to change that first to get to heaven. But as Christians, as saved children of God, we love God and we want to serve God as well as we can. In that context... We try to learn as much as we can from God's word about Christian life. So I preach to you this afternoon the word of God under the following theme, Christians, even believing Christians, need to be converted in our hearts and also in our minds. We consider three points. What is conversion? How does conversion happen? And what is the outcome of conversion? Christians even believing Christians need to be converted in our hearts and also in our minds. First, what is conversion? Let's start with our children. When our children do naughty things, we often ask them, why? Why did you hit him? Why didn't you do what mum said? Often, almost always in fact, the best answer that our children can think of is, I don't know. I don't know why I scribbled on the wall, Mum. I don't know why I came home late last night, Dad. Why? I don't know. If we ask a teenager why he smokes cigarettes, if we ask an adult why he visits pornographic websites, we get the same answer. Why? We cannot explain why. I don't know. But the fact is, brothers and sisters, we do everything for a reason. When children study or don't study for an exam, when children obey or disobey the parents, they always have a reason. And when we go to church or stay home from church, when we buy a new car 
or a used car, there is always a reason. The Apostle Paul explains in Romans 7. Paul says, Sin produced in me every kind of covetous desire. When Paul says this, he presents sin as a power, almost as a person that is working in me and that changes me. Sin is a power that makes me desire bad things. And so, for every question why I committed a certain sin, I repeat, for every question why I committed a certain sin, the answer is always the devil has put this sinful desire into my heart. Remember when Eve was in paradise? When Eve ate that forbidden fruit? Eve told God, the devil made me do it. And Eve could have said, the devil made me desire to be like you, God. This is the reason why you sin. This is the reason why I sin. This is the reason why we do so many things that are sinful every day. The devil works in us and he produces in us so many covetous desires. And Paul explains how the devil produces these covetous desires in our hearts. How does the devil get these desires in me? Well, the devil deceives me, says Paul in Romans 7. The devil deceives me. See, it starts with the mind. The devil deceives me. That means the devil makes me believe things that are not true. The devil makes me believe that doing this or buying that is going to make me feel better. And this is the problem. God says through the Apostle Paul, this is the problem. God says, serve me. God says, live your life according to my word and I will bless you. God says, if you believe in me and if you live by faith, then I will make you perfectly happy. I will make you eternally happy. That's what God says. But the devil deceives me. The devil makes me believe that going my own way and doing what I feel like instead is the way to happiness. This is how the devil makes me sin. And so, before I can change my behaviour, I need to change my beliefs. I need to learn what will really make me happy. And what will really make me sad? And then, when I know the facts, when I believe the facts, when I accept the facts wholeheartedly about what's really going to make me happy, 
And what's really going to make me sad? When I accept the facts, I can seriously change my behaviour. And God shows us how easily the devil deceives us in Jeremiah chapter 2. At that time, Babylon was a powerful nation. Babylon was threatening to destroy all the other nations, including Judah one by one. And when Babylon is threatening, then the people of Judah, they should trust in the Lord. Because the Lord has promised to protect them. But the devil deceived the people of Judah. The devil gave them the false belief that they needed help from the Assyrians. And so they made a treaty with the Assyrians. And then, to show the people of Judah how foolish they have been, Jeremiah says to them, children of God, imagine that you live in the desert where everything is dry. Imagine that outside your back door you have a spring of water that never dries up. Every morning you can go to that spring and get fresh water for your drinking and for cooking and for washing. You have enough water coming from that spring to irrigate your fields. Now can you imagine, says Jeremiah, these people of Judah have forsaken that spring of water which is outside the back door. Instead, they are digging cisterns, holes in the rocks. The Israelites are digging these cisterns to collect water. They are buying axes and shovels, digging wells, maybe even going to town to buy bottled water. When they have this spring of living water outside the back door, what a waste of time. What a waste of money. Jeremiah wants us, brothers and sisters, Jeremiah wants us to understand that God is like a spring of living water. That means God wants us to believe that he will give us everything we need. God sent his son to the cross to pay for our sins. God gives us the Holy Spirit. God gives us rain and health and food and drink. God is like this spring water bubbling up all the time. God gives us everything, says Jeremiah. But the devil deceived the people of Judah by giving them the false belief that they needed the protection of Assyria. And then conversion. Conversion means understanding and confessing that I got it all wrong. Conversion means believing that I really do not need what I thought I needed. Conversion means believing that God knows best and God has given me what is best. Conversion means trusting God and living my life God's way because his way is always the best way. And that's all nice in theory. But when I now look at my life, I can see that I need conversion everywhere, brothers and sisters. I need conversion. Why? In my work, the devil gives me the false belief that if only I can get a better job, if only I can earn a few extra dollars, 
there will be less pressure and my family life will be much better. And so that becomes my focus, my job, earning those dollars. Well, the fact is, God has promised me that he will give me everything that I need. So I should trust him and I should be content with what he gives me. Christian men go to the internet and they seek out pornographic websites and they say, I need this. Maybe because I don't have a wife or maybe because my wife does not give me what I need. I deceive myself because what is true, my Father in heaven tells me that he is a spring of living water and he gives me everything that I need. Another example, I look at my house, my car, my computer, my boat. I look at everything that I have and I do not even notice anymore that the more I get, the more I want. I do not notice anymore that I am searching everywhere, searching for satisfaction, searching for fulfilment, searching everywhere. Although God tells me that he is the spring of living water and he gives me everything that I need and he tells me, yes, he promised me that when I believe in him, I have got everything that I need. He tells me that if I trust him, I will be content, perfectly content, eternally content. God's promise is, I love you, my child, and I care for you. God gives us instruction and direction in his word. He says, this way, my child, this way is the best way because it's my way. But the devil deceives me. The devil makes me see things differently. The devil makes me believe, honestly, that I should make different choices and I would be better off living a different kind of life, different from what God has commanded me. So what is conversion? According to the Catechism, it is possible to live our lives in two different ways. First, the wrong way. We can focus on living our lives, sorry, we can focus our lives on fulfilling our own needs. This is the wrong way. Our need to be happy in our marriage, our need to be happy in our family, we can make that our focus. Our need to be comfortable in our homes. Our need to feel good about who we are. The unconverted man wants to be happy. And when the devil says, do this and you will be happy, get that and you will be happy, the unconverted man listens to the devil. But the unconverted man is deceived. Because he focuses his life on doing whatever it takes to be happy. He will never be happy in all eternity. I'll repeat that. 
because he focuses his life on doing whatever it takes to be happy. He will never be happy in all eternity. In fact, that is the mark of the unconverted man. The number one priority in his life is his happiness. Of course, understand well, the converted man also wants to be happy. The converted man also wants to be happy. But he believes God's promise that God will graciously give him what he needs to be happy. The converted man understands that if we focus on serving God, if we set our hearts and our desires on giving glory to God, when that's our focus, the side effect of such a lifestyle is that God will make us happy, happy in all eternity. Do not forsake the spring of living waters, brothers and sisters. Do not dig your own cisterns. Instead, understand that God alone gives true and eternal happiness. In our second point, we will now consider how conversion happens. The the Catechism teaches us that conversion has got two parts. Dying of the old nature and coming to life of the new nature. And this means we all need to change. When Paul writes to the Ephesians, Paul does not say to them, if you were born with a difficult character or if circumstances in your life are difficult, then, well, of course, we've got bad habits, it's understandable, and don't let it trouble you. Paul does not say anything like that at all. Instead, Paul says, put off. Put off all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Put it off, says Paul. Be converted. Be changed. End of story. And we understand how important it is that we do change, brothers and sisters. We understand how important it is when we go back to the parable which we just read from Luke 11. Jesus drives out an evil spirit. And that's a good thing, isn't it? But Jesus warns that the evil spirit might come back and he might even bring bring with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself and they might all together go and live in the heart of that man. And then says Jesus, the final condition of that man will be even worse than it was before. We understand Conversion has got two parts and they're both important. If we fight against sinful habits, if we put those sinful habits out of our lives, that's putting off the old nature. What about the new? We need to replace those bad habits with something else, brothers and sisters, with new habits, with godly habits, 
with a lifestyle that is positively Christian instead. Because otherwise, our lives will be empty and then we might well fall back into our old ways or even worse habits very, very soon. And this double emphasis, brothers and sisters, this double emphasis of putting away what is bad and putting on something new in its place, this provides us with a challenge that we face, especially today. Because those of us who are parents, we want to teach our children and our young people a Christian way of life. And this is not an easy thing to do for several reasons. Again, it's easy enough to put off the old, but what about bringing in the new? When my generation was growing up, there was much more work that needed to be done for the church and the school. And that took time. It helped to fill our lives. But today, if anything needs to be done, we have got enough money to pay. That's the easy way. And even more importantly, when my generation was growing up, there were very few computer games. There was no internet. There were no cell phones either. Many Christians did not watch TV. And we filled our lives regardless. And now, today, it's easy to say what other people should not be doing. It's easy to say what people ought to be putting out of the life. But surely, this is the challenge that we face, isn't it, brothers and sisters? To fill our lives in a God-pleasing way. In many churches, this problem is handed off to a youth pastor. It is his job to entertain the young people of the church, to occupy them for a couple of evenings every week, hopefully teach them a few good habits along the way. Many churches also send their young people away on a short-term mission trip, hoping that the young people will be motivated to do something worthwhile with their lives. We don't do much of that. Instead, we just hope and pray that if our children spend enough time in the Bible, somehow a Christian lifestyle will follow automatically. But, beloved congregation, if we want our young people to be converted, if we want our children to be converted, in fact, if we want to live Christian lives ourselves, we need to ask ourselves, what does a Christian life look like? We know what we are not supposed to do. And we know what we are supposed to do on Sundays. But what is a Christian way to fill our week, our Monday evenings, our Friday evenings and our Saturday afternoons? What is a responsible thing to do with all our free time? Again, 
we can make a long list of things that we should not be doing and places where we should not be going. But parents, how do we fill our lives? The example that parents give, the the example that adults in the church present to the younger generation, the example especially that we give the way that we fill our lives during the 20 years or so when our children are living in our homes. What we do with our time, what are our priorities in our lives, we should expect our children to follow our example. Think about what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5. Paul says, do not get drunk, that's putting up the old, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. And that means again, being Christians, being converted as Christians, is more than taking something negative out of our lives. Being converted Christians is also something positive. And a big part of the Christian life is doing devotions, singing, making music, reading our Bibles, doing devotions. Christians simply cannot afford to spend all our evenings in front of the television screen or reading novels. Christians simply cannot afford to waste money on emptiness because if we have got nothing to do, brothers and sisters, if we have got time to waste on bad habits, if we have money to burn, We are not doing our job. Because repentance and conversion is more than just taking garbage out of our lives. Instead, repentance is a new life. A life that is full of praise to God. Full of talk about the goodness of God. Full of doing good works to the glory of God. Being a Christian is conversion to a full-time life as children of God. And so, beloved congregation, the catechism highlights the fact that repentance or conversion has got two sides. In the first place, repentance means the dying of the old nature that means more and more hating sin and fleeing from it. But if we put sin out of our lives, we must fill our lives with something positive instead. That means living in contact with God, listening to his word, speaking to him in prayer on a regular basis and filling our lives with the fruit of that. Coming to know him, loving him and thinking seriously about how he wants us to fill our lives. Now, in our third point, we will consider the outcome of such conversion. Now, the struggle to be converted will never be over in this life. The Catechism makes that perfectly clear when it speaks about dying of the old nature. Because if our old nature is dead, surely that old nature has no power anymore. Surely that old nature cannot make us sin anymore if it is dead. But the Catechism says, no, we never quite reach that point. Instead, the best that we can hope for in this life is 
that our sins cause us heartfelt sorrow. We cannot come to the point where we stop sinning. But we can come to the point where we are sorry about our sins. And when the Catechism speaks about coming to life of the new nature, that is not reaching the point where we consistently obey God and do what God wants. Instead, the coming to life of the new nature is, it makes us live in love and delight to live according to the will of God. Even when we are converted to God, says the Catechism, the best that we can hope for is that we are sorry for our sins and we desire to do God's will. And here we see what is actually the beauty of the Reformed faith, brothers and sisters. This is the beauty of the Reformed faith. And I say this because many people imagine that the Reformed faith is depressing. Many people want to hear that the Holy Spirit changes us significantly so that as Christians we live better lives. It sounds wonderful, the thought that the Holy Spirit changes us and makes us better people that is a pleasant thought indeed. Actually, I should say, that thought is pleasant only as long as we don't think about it too carefully. Because to believe that the Spirit of God does change us, to believe that the Spirit of God makes us become better people, that's okay in theory. But then, what am I supposed to think when I mess up in my life, when I commit yet another serious sin? Where was the Holy Spirit then? Why wasn't the Holy Spirit working in me then? Perhaps, I can only think, perhaps the Holy Spirit is not really working in me. And then, this question, this fear, this unbelief begins to play a role in my life. And for this reason, beloved congregation, two things we need to remember. Two things. In the first place, if you take average Christians across North America, and if you calculate how long average Christians across North America are staying with a church, the average is about two years. I read this some time ago, but statistics indicate that on average people stay with a church for about two years. What happens is that people go to a new church and they feel good. They are convinced that the Holy Spirit is working in them. But over time there are some good times and some not so good times in their lives. Sometimes when people notice the Holy Spirit working powerfully, 
But they also notice other times where the Holy Spirit doesn't seem to be working so well. And so they leave the church and they go and find a different church. On average, most people stay in a church for about two years. And so we are thankful, brothers and sisters, we are thankful to read in the Bible about the sins of Abraham and Moses. And we are thankful to read in the Bible about the horrible things that David did. And we are relieved to know what Paul says about himself in the Bible. These men, these heroes of faith, these instruments of God, they were not super Christians at all. They were not living on a high level of faith all the time. Instead, their lives were filled with sins, horrible sins. But they were sorry about their sins and their lives were not filled with good behaviour, but their hearts were characterised by a desire to live godly lives. And so... What we confess in Lord's Day 33 is a great comfort. God knows what we are. And now we can be honest about what we are. We don't have to pretend to be better than we know ourselves to be. Christians aren't perfect, remember, just forgiven. And so, beloved congregation, when we are converted, God changes our hearts and God changes our minds and God changes our outward behaviour as well. When we are converted, God changes our whole lives. And that means, for a start, I need to think about what makes me happy. I need to think about how the devil is deceiving me by convincing me that I need certain things in my life to be happy. I need to understand that the devil is smart. He deceives you and he deceives me every day again because the reality is that if I live for myself, if I focus on doing what makes me happy and what makes me comfortable, if I do that, I will be unhappy in all eternity. But through the gospel, through the gospel God speaks to me of his love and God gives me direction for my life and by the power of his Holy Spirit God changes my heart and he changes my mind. And when I do what God calls me to do, when I live my life according to the will of God in all good works, in other words, when I focus my heart and my life on doing what God gives me to do, the side effect will be that God makes me happy. God makes me perfectly happy and eternally happy. Let us not follow the wisdom of this world. Let us not be deceived by Satan looking for all kinds of ways to make me happy. Instead, let us drink 
from the living water that is God's word. Let us focus our hearts and our lives on giving him glory. In our second point we saw that when God converts us, God wants us to fill our days in different ways. God wants us to live positively Christian lives. And in our third point we saw that the life of Christians is characterised by small beginnings where we grieve with heartfelt sorrow because of our sins and we desire to amend our lives and live for God's glory. That means the life of every Christian continues to be a life of joy and sorrow. Sorrow and joy. But most of all, a life of hope in God. Hope that he will forgive all our sins. Hope that he will keep all his promises and lead us to eternal life. Dear Father, our lives are in your hand. Amen. Let's sing together Psalm 119, stanzas 2, 3, 4 and 5.
Once again we can offer our gifts of gratitude to the Lord in the collection. After the collection we'll sing together Psalm 139 stanzas 9, 10 and 13.
Shall we thank the Lord and pray together? Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us your Son, Jesus Christ, to save us from all our sins. We thank you for giving us your Word and your Holy Spirit. We confess, Father, that the devil is very crafty and so often, in so many ways, he deceives us. He makes us believe that we have the right to certain things or it's okay to live in a certain way. Father in heaven, we confess that the devil works in us so that we are able to rationalise all our sinful behaviour. And so we pray that we may love you with all our hearts and with all our souls and with all our strength and also with our minds. Grant that we may know ourselves and that we may understand our own actions, that we may know when we are deceiving ourselves so that we stop making excuses to sin, but we are converted again and again. Father, we pray for those who have special needs. We pray this afternoon for Sister Bicker. Will you continue to watch over her and give her what she needs, that most of all she may hold on to you and entrust herself to you and believe the promises of the gospel which are good for her too. Father, care for Sister Bicker and give her what she needs. We also pray for Sister Marina Lodder who has chronic pain. Lord, will you surround her with your love and care too? Will you give her strength and comfort that she may also look forward to your promises? Lord, will you give her what she needs as wife, as mother, to do the task that you give to her? Will you also give encouragement? We pray for Brother Mark Mostert, who has chronic pain. Will you care for him? Will you bless the medication that he takes? Will you give him strength and also courage to find comfort in the promises of the Gospel that you have also prepared a wonderful future for him and that he has much to look forward to when he, when he lives by faith in you and in your promises. Father, we remember before you those who are alone, perhaps even lonely. You know that many of us are struggling to cope with different things that you give us to deal with in our lives. You know that better even than we know it ourselves. So, where we struggle, Father, Will you make us in the first place faithful in the reading of your word so that there we may taste your love again and again so that in this way we may focus our hearts and our lives, our thoughts, our words, our actions on you and on your promises. Father, will you care for us, especially as the summer vacation is upon us? Will you bless the young ones in our midst who have so much time now to do things that they want to do, free time? 
Lord, will you give wisdom to parents? Will you also give faithfulness to our young children and our young people that they may seek to fill their whole lives in a way that pleases you? Care for us in our work. You see how many temptations there are, how much the world has to offer us. We pray, will you please hold on to us all? Father in heaven, we pray that you will hear us only for the sake of Jesus Christ, your Son, who bought us with his blood. Hear us in his name. Amen. In conclusion, let's sing together Psalm 130, stances 3 and 4. blessing of your Lord and Saviour and go in peace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.